0: Welcome to Grief Recovery Now podcast. I'm your host, Charlene Gorzella, your grief recovery specialist. This podcast is being produced just for you, someone who has been challenged and heartbroken over a significant and devastating loss, death, divorce, sudden life change, or the many other ways we experience grief. You will be taken on a conversational journey with me and some special guests who have come out the other side of grief and committed to small, powerful, and courageous steps that made all the difference in their lives for the better. I want to instill in you on what is possible, that joy, hope, peace, and happiness is closer than you think. While your life is forever changed, you can have a beautiful new outlook on your relationships and loss with a sense of completion that goes deep in your soul. Ready, set, now. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charlene Gorzella of Grief Recovery Now podcast, your host and your host at every podcast. And I welcome you. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful that you showed up today, no matter where you are in the grief process, devastating grief, just, just feeling a little bit of grief, wants to know more about grief, or has a friend or family member or a loved one that's going through the grieving process and you feel powerless over it, you'll come to the right place we I'm here for you. The people who speak on Grief Recovery Now podcast is there for you. I want to introduce people to people that I've come across because I just feel so... The ones that I feel have touched my heart in some way that have gone through the grief process. I can get a lot of people who are grieving right now, but this is about grief recovery. It's so funny. My cover is with me, two peace signs. And, you know, a lot of teeth. A family member, when I first did my podcast cover, they go, I think you're showing too much teeth for a grief podcast. And I go, well, this is about the recovery part, the other side of it, and how you're going to feel afterwards. So anyways, welcome. I wanted to talk about something that happened last night, and it's very fresh within me. I was in a business meeting, and something happened. And it's a growing organization. I'm on their board of directors. And something happened that may have affected me. And I took it personally and I felt this anger coming up and it like hit me in the back of the knees and a gut punch at the same time. And I, this was towards the end of the meeting and it was a long meeting. I had a long day, didn't get, I don't want to say not enough sleep, but I woke up throughout the night. So this was after a full day and then I'm in a this meeting and all of a sudden afterwards, I could feel myself just getting so mad, but with the anger, my heart hurts with the sucker punch. My, my coping mechanism sometimes is me being self-righteous and being right and acting in anger and someone is a jerk or what I said, what an asshole. And excuse the language. But afterwards, after I, there was an after meeting afterwards with an executive director, president, and I'm the vice president and we talked about it and they walked me through it. And I realized through talking last night, feeling it before I went to bed. And this morning I had remnants of it. I felt hung over emotionally and it just stuck with me. But what I was doing is reviewing the night and realized that the way it unfolded had nothing to do with me. When I looked at the facts and looked at the steps of the meeting and the experience of the meeting, I'm like, wow, this really had nothing to do with me. And that person was not thinking about me. This is where I take things personal. And that's one of the filters I have. I have an idea where it came from, through my grief recovery work. But this was something, as I said, have you ever had it where you hit in the back of the knees or a sucker punch in your heart or stomach? And oh my God, I couldn't shake it. So before, I'm still in it a little bit. And I decided to do that for this podcast. Because I wanted to be in the the midst in agony emotionally. I took a bath, I got quiet. It just that helped, of course. But I needed to go through it. I couldn't do a bypass on it and try to do something to cover it up. And so I just wanted to be raw with you guys today. And what I'm gonna do afterwards, is a tool I use. While I'm a grief certified grief recovery specialist, I also know there's ways that we can help with our grief process. There's other paths. And one of the things I use and have used for a long time is a three-part letter. So after this podcast with Sandy Derby, our awesome guest, it's a three-part letter. And I thought I'd share with you today. It's a letter. It's a stream of consciousness. So you get a piece of paper, you take a pen or a pencil, whatever you want to do, and start writing. The first part of the letter is dear so-and-so. So you write the person and you just go with it. I don't care if you call him a, them an a-hole or whatever happens goes through your consciousness. Just let it rip. This is all unsent. And then the second letter is a letter for me, God. And my interpretation of what my God is very different from anybody's A God, higher power, nature, whatever it is that's more than you, that I don't want to say more than you, but is beyond you. You know, what makes your heart beat? What is nature? What is all that stuff? Whatever it is for you. So you write a letter to that higher, whatever it is, and you just write it, no judgment, even if it whatever happens to stream of consciousness. And remember, please use pen to paper. And the third one is the letter for me, God's letter back to me. And it's another stream of consciousness. And I just got some chills from that. And it's always been so beautiful. I use this as a practice. And I tell you, I get to the other side of it. I have a deeper understanding. There's a, a beautiful, infinite intelligence that flows through me. And it's always loving. And so I wanted to share that with you. If you want to know more about it, please contact me. And I have all my information at, on our uh, notes and all that on the podcast. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. So just to let you know, I practice what I preach. After this, I'm writing that. I don't have the angst with it now, but I'm still going to write it. And, and for my own self and my own self-love. So this is part of my grief recovery practice. So hope you appreciate it and use it. So now we're at the introduction of our awesome guest today, and her name is Sandy Derby. Sandy Derby was born in a naval hospital in Portsmouth, Virginia. Her family moved many times before settling back with the remainder of the extended family in upstate New York. Her childhood was tumultuous, and she suffered physical, sexual, and verbal abuse from the time she was two until the age of 15. The dynamic in Sandy's home was all that bad things were to be kept behind closed doors. And so to the outside world, her family looked happy and normal. To deal with the stress and abuse, Sandy developed the same coping skills she learned from her caregivers, denial and repression. As an adult, Sandy moved to Florida and then settled in California in 1998. Her life revolved around moving up the corporate ladder and fitness. Childhood wounds that had left an internal feeling that something was terribly wrong with her fueled her drive. If she could just make it in business and have the perfect body, then perhaps that terrible feeling would go away. It didn't work. Neither did drugs or alcohol. By 2003, Sandy was a vice president of sales and marketing and smoking crystal meth every day. In 2005, after facing the abuse of her childhood, Sandy walked away from drugs She discovered grief recovery in 2006. The outreach program gave her the structure and tools to heal from the inner wounds. After using tools for several years, Sandy became certified as a specialist in 2010. Sandy is now an author, speaker, life coach, and advanced certified recovery specialist and a GRI trainer. She is also founder of Grief Unchained, Her journey to healing from childhood trauma had given her a deep understanding of the pain and bondage this kind of trauma can have on an individual's life. Sandy resides in Southern California and has a BS in business administration. Welcome, Sandy. So happy you're here. Thank you. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. It's really awesome. I loved your intro,
1: by the way, and I love the tools that you're using in the moment, your letters. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah,
0: love that. Well, coming from you, I'm so happy you appreciated yeah, I I it. I do, I totally do. Oh, that's great. Well, what we talked about normally is what it was like, what happened, what is it like now? What was it like growing up? Growing up for me, I think it, it's, it's, an, it's kind of an interesting,
1: interesting story because there's the life that I thought I had and then the life that I actually had. Because in my story, I was abused so severely and so many times that I had suppressed most of the bigger pieces that happened. So I was, you know, I was raped several times as a child. Um, I was physically abused. I was verbally abused. A lot of the men in my family were abusers. And then, you know, as, as, as you had mentioned in my bio, the other ingredient in my story was a lot of denial. You know, so we were this family that, Behind closed doors, there was a lot happening. But the what was presented to the outside world was, we're good. We're this great family. We're down to earth. We're, we're close. We're happy. And so I grew up learning to model that I was okay. And I grew up learning to just put this mask on. And quite honestly, I, I wore that for many, many years. And even though there were signs that something was wrong, I continued to just move forward as if everything was okay. I moved very far away. If anybody asked me, I would say, I I have a good family. My dad was a little bit hard on me. That that was it. And so over time though, you can only, I I think you can only keep that stuff at bay for so long before it really starts to present in all these different ways. And so basically what happened is I got to a point in my life where I was using meth every day. My ex-boyfriend tried to kill me. And I didn't remember my childhood. And when my ex-boyfriend tried to kill me, it was a scene out of a movie. It, It happened right in Hollywood. There were police helicopters. There were police cars. He broke into my place twice and was coming back in a third time. The second time he broke in, he actually climbed up on the balcony, broke through the French doors of my place while the police were looking for him. So this whole big thing happens. They finally get him, they arrest him. And that was a moment where once I was, able to function because I really couldn't function for a while. I was relocated by victims of crimes. I mean, this, there was this whole big, big time in my life, but there was this moment when I went, something's wrong. Something is wrong. I don't remember my childhood. I'm a drug addict, even though I was working, you know, I was working in the corporate world and I was somehow functioning. I don't know if that's a good thing that I learned to function in so much dysfunction, but I did. And so here I am, I'm, I'm in the corporate world, but I'm, a, I'm an everyday user. And I'm like, and I don't remember my childhood. And that was a moment of going, something is very wrong. You know, if I chose a man that tried to kill me, I've got to figure this out because my next choice may end in me ending my life. You know, it was, it was that, that big of a disparity. And so that event had happened with my ex-boyfriend and another event had happened where I had flown to Massachusetts and I saw my niece be born. I ended up in the room when my sister gave birth to my niece. And that makes me want to cry because that was a moment when I knew I had to keep living because I didn't want whatever was going on with me I didn't want that for her. Like that was the that was enough of a catalyst for me to really go something I've got to figure this out. And so what ended up happening is about 4 months after the attack where my ex had attacked me, memories started to surface from my childhood, which is kind of textbook actually if you if you study out anything about repression, suppression, there's, you know, lots of different information about that. But basically, if you have another traumatic experience as an adult, it can unearth some of the things that have been pushed down. And that's basically what happened. And it didn't all come at once, but some of that memory started to come back. An uncle that had abused me when I was between four and five and had threatened to kill me and my mom, if I said anything like that started to surface. And it was just this moment of shock, like, oh my gosh, I've been abused. Now, keep in mind, when this stuff started to surface, I was already probably 30, 31, somewhere in there. So I had lived a lot of my life, you know, telling myself that I had this pretty decent childhood, you know? So that reality was very, very challenging for me. And that started this journey of healing and and what happened. And I I went to therapy. I did, on, you know, more, more memory continued to surface. And I continued to come into the acceptance of, wow, my reality was very different than what I thought. And I will tell you, that was a tremendous loss for me. Tremendous. To have lived my life thinking I've had a pretty decent life. I have a pretty decent family. And then to really come into the
0: truth of, oh, no, it was horrible. Horrible things happened to me. Did you find out during, excuse me, did you find out during therapy? Was there all of a sudden this moment of clarity? You woke up, it was a dream. And and between two and four years old, and then being threatened at that time. Yeah. Through something that probably felt a little, I don't know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but, or a therapist, but, oh my God, what happened? How did you deal? Well, I mean, that's such a great question.
1: I never, ever had a memory come up in therapy itself but one of the things that happened is I got really into art and I got really into being creative. And there's something about creativity where your conscious mind kind of relaxes, right? It's a very subconscious endeavor. And so your subconscious mind kind of floats to the surface. And so things would, would, would come up. Now, the first time, I will tell you, the first, the first time that I connected with being abused, I was having a conversation with someone and they were asking me questions. It was just a friend. And they were asking me some questions about my childhood. And what started to happen is, they would ask me a question, and I would answer a question from like two questions ago. And they were like, "What's going on? You're 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 answering the wrong question. This is what I asked you. I was asking you about being a child and what it was like, and you know what it was like with your dad." And I remember feeling almost feeling um, sick inside. And I I said, "I need a minute." And I got up. I was at my place, and I walked into my room. And there was a picture. It was the only picture of me as a child that I had up. And it was me at about three years old, standing next to my cousin. And I remember I looked at that picture and I felt like the wind got knocked out of me and I fell to my knees and I went, oh my gosh, the person who was next to me in the picture was my cousin. He's a year younger than me. His father was one of my abusers. And Mm -hmm. so I connected in that moment. And I just, I just remember that devastation. And so that started the journey. And so what I did in therapy, by the time I got to therapy, I knew I had been molested. I knew it had happened more than once. And so therapy for me was a place to go and just talk to someone, one that believed me, because unfortunately, when I came out to my family with I've been abused, I was met with a lot of disbelief. And so they just kind of did this, you know, we don't believe you, particularly my mom, uh, said, didn't happen, didn't happen. I don't want to talk to you, and that was devastating in and of itself. So going to therapy was a place where I could talk and I could process my feelings. And I was extremely out of touch, extremely out of touch. I remember one time, and the therapist said, "How are you feeling?" And I and I was really proud of myself because I said, "There's there's fear. It's all the way down in the bottom of my stomach, and I feel a little bit of fear." And he looked at me and he said, "Let me tell you something, Sandy." There is so much terror emanating off of you. My jaw is shaking. And I was just excited that I could connect with a little bit of fear, you know, and I remember, and and so that's more what therapy did is it just processing and talking about it and having somebody that would believe and, and mirror back, you know, wow, this is how I'm experiencing you. That helped me to, I think, you know, to connect and have some community. But in the beginning, I would leave therapy and I would walk home and it would take me two hours. I would take a taxi there. I couldn't drive. And then I would walk home. And so the pieces just came in more and more and more and more. And then the the real big part of the story is that in 2005, I finally faced this reality that I had been raped. I was raped at seven years old. And when I faced that, it was extremely stressful. It Repression is an interesting thing. When I When I would turn to face the memory, it was like, oh yeah, that's always been there. It wasn't like, oh, that couldn't have possibly happened. It was like, oh, that's always been there. I've just never turned to look at it, right? So this this rape experience comes up and then I'm I'm processing that. And then I finally spoke up and not just spoke up and saying this happened. I had Child Protective Services called to protect my niece, the very niece that I saw be born. And so I made that phone call uh, with the help of my therapist. When I made that phone call, that weight and that family secret that I had been carrying for so long was lifted and I didn't have to carry it anymore. Everything blew up. My family blew up. Everything blew up. I mean, they were, you know, she's crazy. I mean, if you, you name it, I was, I was told I had all these things wrong with me and, and, and I'm the crazy one and they were all angry. How, how dare you? Um, because that's how denial families work. But that same week now keep in mind by this time I was still using I used meth for three and a half years straight. I was an everyday user. Wow. That's powerful stuff. Yeah. So it all comes out. Child Protective Services are called. They're doing an investigation. That same week, I had, you know, given money to, I always want to, it's funny. I tell the story all the time, right? And I I always want to say, I gave money to my friend. He was my drug dealer. So I gave money to my drug dealer, right? He left. The next day, he didn't come back. Like, no drugs. So I called him. And I was angry. So in my message, I said, give me my money back. You know, I don't know drug dealers that return money, but I was mad. And so that night, I remember I was going to bed and there was this thought that I had. Now, everything's blowing up, the investigation, my family. And I have this thought. And the thought is, if he gives me my money back, it's time to stop. Now, the next thought was, if he brings me drugs, I'm going to keep going. This was not like a big, you know, was not like a big epiphany, but it was there was a glimmer. Mm -hmm. And I got up the next morning and I walked down the hall and I looked down and I remember seeing an envelope that had gotten placed under the door and I opened that envelope and it was cash. He gave me my money back. And that was the last day that I used. And I never used again.
0: Isn't that something you made this little deal with yourself that just came out of the blue. That's what I think is, is the infinite intelligence or whatever you may call it. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, you weren't doing, you didn't do drugs that day, right? When that happened? When he brought me the money back. Oh Yeah. No. Oh, oh, you did. So I was thinking that one day he didn't bring the drugs back or something. No, oh. he
1: brought, no, he, I, I did it. He brought, here's what I did, Charlene. He, I got my money back and I was, I'm supposed to stop. So here's what I did. Every little last bit that I had, I used, <laughs> spoken like a true drug addict, right? I used every la- last bit that I had and then I took all the paraphernalia. Now, keep in mind, I'd been using for three and a half years and I had a really good job. I made good money, I could afford my habit. I piled it all in a garbage bag, walked down, threw it away. And that was it. That was the last time that I used. Now that time was a big loss, even though it was a huge gain. It's a miracle. I wouldn't trade it for the world. It makes me cry every time I share it. But the thing is, is that meth was how I got through the day and I didn't have it anymore. Number two, I had been a fitness competitor. I had been, you know, this very active person. Meth really steals a lot. And so I didn't even look like myself. You know, everything was blowing up with my family. It was kind of like, what have I done? You would never look at me now and think that I had, you know, used meth. But at the time, I very much looked like a meth addict. And so all of that was a really, really challenging time for me. But I basically walked away. And that was in October of 2005. And on January of 2006, on my story, I ended up on on an airplane next to two pastors, not one, but two. And so I ended up becoming a part of a church and part of a faith community, which was very awesome and very life-saving and life-giving for me. Even with that, though, my heart was still broken. So even though I wasn't using anymore and even though I was surrounded, obviously, by better people and there was health and people that were happy to see me and believe space, I was devastated inside. I was still waking up every morning very anxious, very depressed. I had been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder and a depressive disorder. It was hard for me to function, particularly in the mornings, you know, getting up was very, very hard. And so in 2006, some of the people that had been, you know, that were part of this community that I had joined, talked to me about grief recovery. And they said, you really need to do this thing called grief recovery. And I thought, grief recovery, I've been severely traumatized. What does that have to do with grief you know, because to me it was grief was about death. And so I, I thought, nah, I'm not going to do this. And my friend was so insistent. And so there, she said, there's this handbook. And I was like, so I ordered the book online and I was like, I'll just read it. I'll just go through it myself. And she called me and she said, so how's that? Cause she wanted me to do the group, you know, how's that group going, that grief recovery group. I said, oh, I didn't join the group, but you know what? I, I got the book. I'm going through it. And she said, listen, either you get in that group and you make that call or I'm going to make it for you. And it was a very assertive nudge. (laughs) And so I did. And I went to the grief recovery um, thinking, what in the world am I doing here? And also thinking I'm too broken for this. You know, this is a group of people. There's this handbook, there's these homework assignments. I don't even know what they're talking about, what they want me to do, but I'm going to do it. So I walked through the steps angrily, I was the person with my arms crossed, digging my heels in. This isn't going to work. I'm too broken. You know, too much has happened. And it wasn't until the final exercise. And I did that final exercise. And I felt these, literally, these boulders lift off my shoulders. And I remember looking at the specialist who was leading the group. And I looked at her and I said, oh, my gosh, it worked. And she went, well, yeah, of course it did. And I was like, you don't understand I did not think that this could help me. And so I was really astounded by that. And one of the things that grief recovery really gave me, which nothing else did, was the heart language. No matter how much I had processed intellectually, no matter how aware I was of the traumas that happened. And yes, there's power in the things that were in the dark coming into the light. Yes, there was power in that. Yes, there was power in processing. Yes, there was power in talking about it. There was power in so many of the things that I did. But what they did not give me, that grief recovery gave me, was the language of my heart. Because the truth of the matter is, no matter how high level you want to call those traumas complicated this, complicated that, they were all losses. I lost so much as a child. I lost my safety, I lost control, I lost love, I lost connection, I lost innocence, I lost my identity. I lost things. And I will tell you, my parents, caregivers, people in positions of authority failed me greatly. And those were huge losses to have that language and then to be able to walk through steps whereby I could actually grieve from the heart with the tools that I had never gotten. And we never talked about feelings in my family at all. That was life changing for me. And so what happened is, is that I did grief recovery and I said, okay, this really works. So I just kept using the tools and I kept, I kept doing the grief work on this, on this, on this, on this. And I went from this person who was extremely anxious and depressed and also very out of the moment. Okay. So I used to tell people, I feel like I watch my life on a movie screen. Like I'm here, my life happens over here and I'm a, I'm a visitor. I'm a spectator
0: observer of your life. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm observing my life. I'm a spectator. I'm not in it. I was never present. I was either angry at the past or freaked out about the future, but present moment. No, I would daydream my way far out of the present moment. I didn't know what the present moment even was. I didn't even know what that term meant. And so I went from that to being present. I became very present. I became very emotionally aware and as i continued to do the grief work oh, and i did do some other work as well but the grief work really got to the root i also no longer struggled with anxiety and depression so that's gone i don't have the anxiety disorder the depressive disorder i don't i don't carry those things anymore and so it it really changed the entire trajectory of my life because there's so much that flows from our hearts and mm-hmm. there's so much with our heart you know, listen, if somebody's of faith or not a faith for me, God speaks to my heart. I heart connect with God. It's very powerful. And it's a very big part of my experience as a person that was all stopped up. And to be able to have that kind of connection and that kind of supernatural experience, it really flows from the fact that I was able to grieve, heal and get heart connected. And so I don't carry a lot of that stuff. Now, I'm not saying there aren't still things I work through like you. I use the tools all the time.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm in,
1: I stay in the work. I stay in the tools, whatever I need to use to process my feelings and to get present. I do, you know, I don't think it's ever a one and done and, you know, I don't want to arrive, but I want to enjoy the journey, but there's not even a semblance of the person I was before people that knew me. Even when I first came to that faith community that I talk about, I'm like from a different planet. You, you don't even see the same person. I don't look the same. I don't talk the same in, in, in any of that. So that's really what it's done. And that's really where I've come to now. And it's life is beautiful. Even even to say with all those experiences, it's like life is is beautiful and people are beautiful. And there isn't, I don't believe, a brokenness too great to be repaired and to be
0: brought into a place of purpose. Yes. You are a miracle. I don't even want to say miracle, but just your psych- psychic change or that moment of clarity with the drug dealer, you know, the gifts from the universe, it's, you listened to whatever was going on. And then you would have probably died if you weren't ready yet for the discovery. And you said you knew as a child, something is like you, you normalized what happened in your childhood. Cause that's all you knew. Right. And there's this one thing I love about grief recovery. And I don't know who did it. I think it's John James. It says, discovery is not recovery. Therapy, finding out, bit by bit, memories is discovery, which is awesome. And I love that you went to the church. It sounds like a very loving community. So you needed to be accepted and loved and all that and feel safe within, as safe as you can be at the time. And but to me, when we talk, because people, we what we do, people don't quite understand recovery. I'm fine. Because they normalize what they're feeling and not knowing, like, why am I, you know, my life's not working. Or like when you look, you talked about, like, I've been sober 33 years. uh, And I used to look at people and say, how come they live such normal lives? Mine is up, down, up, down, up, down. I'm very optimistic. So I think that saved me. I control my mind, some the mind, the intellectual to help me live what i lived through for many years. And like you, you know, I was active job success had some semblance of success. But until, but until I got into recovery, I had to do 12 steps, which is work. You do these 12 principles and there's work. And then the grief recovery of work that I did years later, that was where the recovery came in with the grief recovery Institute. I mean, it changed me and I have a successful life. I had a successful life, but I knew something was up. Mm -hmm. something's up. Why wasn't I getting the relationship I wanted? Why was certain things sort of just baffle me a little? But I used to, as I said before, I wondered how come people have such great relationship and long-term and love that stands the test of time and all those filters we have. So anyway, so the recovery part, which our job is, and we hope, because I feel like this is a movement, grief recovery and the work. And again, if anybody remember, discovery is not recovery. Let us show you go to the website in which everything's always on um, the notes. But it's so fascinating. When I first met you, I just knew that you had such a powerful story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because We also do trauma, PTSD, grief. There's over 40 forms of grief. Don't short, don't short change or think that you're not important enough to take a look at it. You are an expression of success in life, Sandy, and coming from, from where you came from, you know, bravo. And so you're making use of what you are today. You have a total psychic change. Yeah, completely. Psychic change of the head, psychic change of the heart. Yeah. I mean, bravo. I'm so happy you were picked. We're <laughs> not picked, but somehow you've, <laughs> you have the life you live today. And I get to meet you too. And everybody got to meet you too. And um, you're just fascinating. And I would love to talk about your book a little bit and anything that's going on with you that you'd like to share with us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to just say one
1: other really quick thing to your point about what John says about discovery is not recovery. A really simple way to look at that is if you imagine being born and having a backpack on your back, but it's empty and things happen, a bike gets stolen, a grandparent dies, we move, Um, An abuse happens. And imagine that every time that happens, it's like a rock, pebble, or boulder goes in that backpack. Because as John says, we are taught how to acquire things. We're not taught to do once we lose them. Because we don't learn how to grieve. Every time something happens, it's like we, we put stuff in our backpack. And that's what we continue to do. And so obviously, when we get older, we have pretty heavy backpacks. And I was doing a training just recently. And one of the people on the training said, you know, I feel like in all the therapy and all the work that I've done, which was really great. She said, I feel like I got really familiar and aware of what was in my backpack. I knew all my rocks, all my pebbles and all my boulders. I never knew how to get them out. Grief recovery is really the tool to get them out so that we don't carry them anymore. And that's to your point where John says, discovery is not recovery. I can know what I'm carrying around, but how do I get it out to be lighter and live differently? That's where grief recovery comes in. So I just wanted to make that point because I thought that was so beautifully said. Um
0: and then Oh my god, I love that. You know, I'm going to use it by the way. I haven't heard that one. And John James is the one who was the founder of Grief Recovery now and or Grief Recovery Institute. Yes. And he started a long time ago. He has his own story regarding that, but he is the guy that got that divine, got it by divine appointment, I believe. And I don't mean religion or anything, but something beyond him said, you're going to do this through all the pain he had gone through and grief. And so he shared it with the world. He did. And he's amazing. He's an amazing guy. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to make that, that point.
1: Cause he's gosh, he's got such great sayings, but yeah, as far as the book. So I have, uh, I have written a, a book it's in final edits now, so it'll be published this year. And so basically it is my story and my healing journey. So it's it's what happened and then the steps that I took to heal. And there's some conceptualizing in there too of, of really understanding the different levels and layers of healing, right? It's like what happened? And then there's the way that we respond to what happened, right? There's the emotional response. Then there's the belief systems. What did I believe about myself and my identity as a result of what happened? Because there were the things that were done to me and yes, there was anger, rage, deep wells of pain and devastation, emotions that needed to be worked out. What about the identity piece? What about what I internalized as a child trying to interpret my world and what was happening? I'm not worthy. I'm not protected. I'm not safe. I'm not enough. I'm not lovable, right? There's all these different layers of things, there's ways that we think. So the book kind of captures the story and the healing on those different layers and levels. So there's that. I do, you know, I have a full time practice, so I, I get to be with people all day, you know, Tuesdays through Fridays. I absolutely love it. So I do, obviously I do grief recovery. I also do inner healing. I do work with trauma. I do life coaching and I do professional development coaching and speaking. I do a lot of speaking.
0: So yeah. That's your life. And grief report, she she does grief support online, grief one-on-one and a two-day personal workshop. Normally the workshops are seven to eight weeks. But this one, she's certified to be a two-day personal workshop. Yes. But yes. I think you're great. And one of these days, I'm going to get certified to do that two-day one. And I'm a little younger than you in this process. But I just simply adore you. We're new connection. And so glad I got to meet you and share you with everyone. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be on. And you're an amazing host. Love your podcast. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody, life is good. What a great talk today, and I hope it helped. And if you want to share this podcast with anyone, please do. And look at the other podcasts, too. But, Sandy, you just made my day today. Thank you so much. And I'm going to go do my three-part letter. And just remember, everybody, this podcast is on all the podcast platforms. We're here for you. There's also a Grief Recovery Now group, private group, in Facebook. Please feel free. I'll let you in if you want to come in. And all that information is on our information and notes and all that good stuff. So bye everybody. Peace, love, and harmony. Thanks again, Sandy. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining our Grief Recovery Now journey. Like what you heard? It would be the biggest compliment to our mission if you would please subscribe, rate, and review Grief Recovery Now on Apple Podcasts, and we'll keep you posted on our next podcast. If you don't have Apple, we are also on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Also, please join our private Facebook group, Grief Recovery Now. And if you are in need of any personal attention, please contact me with the link on this podcast page, which is griefrecoverymethod.com forward slash grms forward slash Charlene dash Gorzella. It would be an honor to hear from you.